is John Rubino from DollarClass.com, and you're listening to Run to Gold. Welcome back to episode 52 of the RunToGold.com podcast. This will be a tie-in with How to Vanish, where we've been talking about Hawala banking and financial privacy. Welcome back to the How to Vanish podcast. This is Trace. And this is Bill. And today we're going to be talking about Hawala banking. So, Bill, what is Hawala banking? Well, Hawala is the official term for really what is an informal system of banking. Um, it kind of originated, and most of what Hawala banking is, is simply money transfers across borders and across great distances where you contact someone who just happens to know someone in another city so that they can send money to somebody in that city. Um, the transactions usually take place. Uh, no money actually travels the distance. They just send a message uh, to the Hawaladar, who is kind of the broker of the transaction, um, or there could be two Hawaladars in the transaction. But they send a message to the other recipient of money to go to this other Hawaladar uh, to go pick up whatever amount was agreed upon. Uh, and this can happen several times before the two Hawaladars then settle uh, any outstanding difference uh, between the two. So it seems like it's uh, extremely informal then uh, as far as records that are being kept or uh, regulation. Uh, I mean, do we have do we have Hawaladar insurance, <laughs> kind of like we have FDIC insurance, uh, or is this pretty much something that just uh, rides on a social capital in the sense of the relationships that exist and the trust that that brings. Right. It's it's, it's a very, very old system. It's thousands of years old, much older than kind of our Western style of banking. And so this has been going on for thousands of years. And, and what happens is these Hawaladars who generally uh, engage in this kind of trans- – in these transactions, they develop reputations and they're well-known in their communities and they know the other Hawaladars in other cities and other countries really well. So all of the transactions take place on this very informal, I know you, so I'm going to do this with you, um, kind of uh, system, kind of environment. And compared to uh, just about any other kind of banking system, it has the lowest rate of default. It has, um, you know, there's basically no legal protection that they need to buy, no insurance that they need need to buy, because defaults simply don't happen. Um, If it were to happen, the reputation that these Hawaladars have built up over generations would be out the window and and these people's lives would be ruined. Um, So the informality of it uh, really creates an extremely secure system. So while it may pe- may appear informal to someone like you or I that's trained in the law and we want uh, assets to secure and we want things on the table that we can see, uh, in reality it's actually probably a lot more secure because we all know the story of someone who gets a judgment and and the judgment's only worth the paper that it's written on because you can't get any of the assets. And so in these cases uh, – it, even though you can't necessarily see everything, 
uh, in the system, if you're an outsider looking in, if you're actually inside the system, it, it's very transparent because uh, you know Uncle Jim, and Uncle Jim's the whole R, and you trust Uncle Jim, and so uh, and Uncle Jim trusts you, and so you're able to enter into the transactions and get things done, and uh, that seems to be how it works, uh, if right. I'm understanding it correctly. Right. The cultures that Hawala Banking comes out of, and Hawala is just one term. It's known by different names in different regions of the world. Um, Hawala is the Islamic uh, name that comes out of uh, the Islamic cultures. But these cultures are, are very strong. Uh, they're almost tribal uh, feeling, uh, a lot of them. And so for them, the relationship is much, much stronger than... than uh, we would think of in the West with business relationships or even family relationships, uh, the relationships in these cultures where Hawala banking is practiced is extremely, extremely important. Now, I've noticed uh, I've noticed this with myself. For example, uh, I use uh, Facebook or other websites, uh, other of these social networking websites where you're able to kind of build a reputation and you have your friends in there. And so whenever I need something and, and I'm in a in a strange city or whatnot, I'm usually able to find someone who knows someone uh, in that city and, and I'm able to figure out the good places to eat or the good uh, local places to visit. And I suppose that this Hawala Banking would just be another one of those services uh, that, that I could tap into that uh, – social network of friends that I have uh, whenever I'm in one of these places, right? I, you know, it, it's interesting because I think Hawala Banking really uh, grows out of a need for it. And so as Hawala has, you know, had expanded into other areas of the world, it really only expanded into areas where there was a need uh, for people like immigrant workers to remit money back home to their families. Um, so it really hasn't grown out of those um, those areas or those those need centers very much, ex except for small one-time kind of transactions, but but not the the overall system that the Hawala uh, has in, in these other in these other uh, locations. And for the most part, we haven't really needed. Uh, this type of a system as Westerners, but with the looming threat of currency controls, and I know that I've written uh, quite extensively on currency controls, uh, we might see this type of a need arise for us Westerners uh, in the not-too-distant future, uh, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just, just the efficiency of Hawala and the low default rate and, you know, the anonymity, there's, there's sometimes um, the Hawala Dars will keep records, but really that's that's up to them. And the vast majority keep no records of the individual transactions. They only keep a tally of uh, the accounts between other Hawala Dars, which they settle later on. Um, so all of these things are, are incredibly beneficial to everyone. The, the Western-style banking system, as far as remitting money or having a broker to uh, be the middleman in some kind of transaction, are much less efficient. There's a much higher default rate, and um, obviously, you know, bank secrecy laws and things like that, uh, which are kind of an oxymoron. They don't allow uh, for much bank secrecy. Um, all uh, 
create kind of this, this driver, this push towards a whole wallet system in the West. And so I think certainly currency controls are probably going to be the tipping point. They are probably going to be what tips the scales uh, to where we see uh, whole wallet dollars in our own neighborhoods or people that we know uh, engaging in these kinds of transactions. Now that now that's very interesting. Now I've also received quite a few comments. And I know you have also, or at least questions. Pete, for example, uh, I got I got one comment. It it asked. Uh, can I get some contact information for a Hawaladar? <laughs> and it made me chuckle because uh, it just shows how unacquainted we are in the Western field with this type of banking process. And, and I know you also had a story about one of your uh, one of our readers uh, trying to find uh, the contact information for a Hawaladar there in Thailand. Uh, so could you could you tell me a little bit about the process of trying to find one of these Hawaladars? Well, uh, this this concept of getting in touch with Hawaladars, uh, it, it's difficult because of what I was talking about, how it's grown out of uh, this cultural base and, and this need base in these unique cultures. And so if you're not uh, an insider in the culture, it's, it's difficult to break in. Um, and on top of that, a lot of countries have been passing laws. Um, sometimes they're just um, um, not not laws, but they are um, suggestions about, you know, we'd like you to register if you're a Hawaladar uh, or, or something like that. But, but those kinds of um, activities make Hawaladars and Hawala banking go a little bit underground. So, you know, every area of the world is different. Um, but Hawaladars are kind of stealing back their advertising. They still might advertise in a in a newspaper in the local in the local community. Uh, for example, you know, Los Angeles, California, has a lot of uh, different ethnicities in that community. There's a paper in Farsi, and there's a paper in Hindi, and there's a paper in all kinds of different languages. Um, Hawaladars might be advertising in those kinds of papers. But for the most part, you can't just look one up. You have you have to know one. You have to kind of be in the community. So it creates for some real difficulties, especially for my friend in Thailand, who I was corresponding with, trying to figure out how he can get in touch with uh, a Hawaladar. And we came up with a few ideas, a few things that he could try. Um, but the cultural barriers there, and probably in a lot of other places, are pretty high. Now, what what exactly did he have, what exactly has he been trying to do to find a Hawaladar there in Thailand? Uh, just about everything uh, I could think of. He uh, posted ads, ads on Craigslist um, looking for someone who engages in Hawala banking transactions. Uh, he did get some feedback that it is going on in his area, but no one would tell him where or how to contact them or anything. And apparently, uh, in that area of the world where he's living. It's, it's very taboo for someone of his culture and background to be seen in uh, the kind of neighborhoods or with the kind of people that would be engaging in Hawala uh, banking. So um, he you know, looked on Craigslist for people advertising it and all these kinds of things and really couldn't find much. Um, but I, I think um, that there is going to be a possibility that he, he will be able to get in touch with those Kind of communities, uh, what he suggested was he is going to go 
and talk to maybe some bellhops or some taxi drivers who can act as a liaison between the two cultures, who move in and out of those two cultures pretty seamlessly. And he maybe uh, might hire them as private couriers to send messages back and forth. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I, I, I'm um, hoping he's going to tell me how his search goes, because that may be a good model for people around the world to follow if they can't follow, uh, find a Hawaladar through the regular um, means of, of searching for business services. Exactly. You know, uh, it, it kind of reminds me, I've got a couple friends, uh, multimillionaire real estate investors that live there in Thailand. One's Dutch, the other's uh, Belgian, and they both happen to marry uh, Thai women. And so I bet it would be a little bit easier for them to get in contact with uh, Hawaladar uh, because of their uh, their wives who are who are both Thai and of course uh, integrated into that society and whatnot, and uh, that seems to be how it how it works. You have to. It's not necessarily what you know, but it's who you know uh, in this type of a system, and so it's very going to be very interesting to see Westerners adopt this type of uh, activity as further uh, restrictions on capital flows seem to be coming down the line. Right. Let's it's, see. It's, it's just the nature of the transaction. Uh, th there are probably the majority of Hawaladars aren't, don't consider themselves Hawaladars and probably don't even know that term. They just uh, know that there's a need for this transaction to take place and they offer their services to, to the person that might need it that one time. You know, maybe they do it once or twice or three times in their entire life. Um, but but that, that just makes it harder to find them uh, if, if you're not uh, – if you don't know one. Um, but I think as, as Westerners start to um, understand how it works and realize the great potential that there is in, in that kind of banking system, um, then we'll kind of see maybe an integration of, of both styles. Uh, the close relationship that's needed, um, and also maybe a little bit more open. You know, I don't know if that is going to be uh, destructive to to the anonymity or the integrity of the system, but it will be very interesting to see how it plays out. Yes, it will be. And I know uh, with myself, for example, my uh, my sister, she needed something for her uh, one of her children, and uh, we actually, uh, I had her uh, give my mother the money, and and I, per, I had I had what what she needed for her uh, for her child. So I then sent it to my sister, and so it appears that my mom actually acted as a whole wall of dar just within our familial uh, transaction. So I I do think you know most people have probably engaged in this type of a system in their life uh, at least once, probably many times, and it'll. It'll probably continue to grow, and there are so many applications. For example, uh, offshore bank accounts for U.S. citizens do need to be reported under the TD-90F. Uh, however, uh, real estate that's held outside of the country uh, generally is not uh, reportable, and so someone could have uh, real estate held uh, in some foreign country and then uh, they would have someone who uh, was able to collect the rent, and then they could use a Hawala R and then get the uh, money 
remitted to them uh, here in the States without it going through any type of international wire transfers or things like that that would engage, that would have high costs. Because uh, I think some international wire transfers cost up to a hundred dollars, uh, where they could use a wallet R and maybe have it cost five. <laughs> so there are all types of these uh, great advantages to using a system that are a lot cheaper uh, than something that uh, doesn't have as much uh, efficiency to it. Oh, let's see here. There. Yeah, and efficiency is just the tip of the iceberg with benefit. <laughs> Yeah, it is, isn't it? Makes <laughs> um, it kind of fun. Let's see, is there anything else? That, I know that we're going to be doing quite a bit more uh, explanation on Awala banking and future articles and future podcasts, both on how to vanish and on run to gold uh, because of the intertwining nature of uh, the financial privacy and the, the economics of it, particularly with regards to currency controls. Uh, but with this introductory uh, podcast, are there any other uh, issues that we'd like to discuss or talk about? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but um, I think for now, as, as an introduction, that's probably probably pretty good. And I'm sure people will let us know uh, if there's anything specific that they want to know uh, the next time we talk about it. Yes, uh, that's a great invitation. Uh, on both of the sites, we have forms where people can enter their questions, and, and we get sent that email, and so then we know exactly what type of questions our readers are, are asking are, are after and what types of things they want to learn. And they can also uh, give us some suggestions, you know, like this fellow that's uh, <laughs> he's wandering around Thailand trying to find a wallet R, and so he can give good, helpful suggestions on what has worked and what hasn't. So uh, we'd appreciate any reader comments or uh, submissions on the forums on either of the sites with regards to this topic. Well, thanks, Bill. This has been great. Yeah, it's been good. Hi, this is Jim Willie from the Hat Trick Letter, found on www.goldenjackass.com, and you are listening to Run to Gold.